we, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another, but we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., yeah, and giving it back to you, the people. Well, welcome, friends and fellow citizens, to the We the People Convention News and Opinion radio show and podcast. My name is Tom Zawistowski, and I am the host of this show. I'm also the president of the We the People Convention, and this show, uh, the radio show, and the podcast are paid for by the donors to the We the People Convention, and we thank all of them for your support for making this possible so that we can help overcome the censorship we're experiencing on social media by reaching out to our fellow citizens you know on the radio here in ohio uh, and on our podcast uh, throughout ohio and really throughout the country uh, for those of you listening on the radio uh, we have a five station radio network here in ohio uh, that airs every saturday morning and we welcome all of you who are tuning in we hope that uh, many of you who are coming to today's We the People Convention uh, in Columbus are listening to the radio show as you're traveling uh, to Columbus for our convention today on uh, August 15th. Uh, we welcome all of you for tuning in and uh, we thank you for sharing this uh, show with others uh, that you know after you listen. I think a lot of people tell people about this show and ask them to tune in the following week and uh, we appreciate that very much. Those of you who are watching the podcast, you can do that by going to wethepeopleconvention.org uh, around noon every Friday, and you'll find the podcast right there on the front page. If you click on the little yellow button that's uh, on the front page, it'll uh, give you uh, the page that shows you all the radio stations, the times the shows air, and links to those uh, radio stations so you can listen on uh, iHeartRadio, on your phone, on your computer. Um, you can also listen to the podcast on uh, YouTube, on iTunes, and on uh, Roku and Amazon Fire Television. So welcome to all of you who are uh, you know, tuning into the show. We, we're glad to have you with us. We think we've got some information to share with you that you may not be getting anywhere else and uh, that's the show is really about uh, our goal is to help you defend your individual liberty and freedom and prosperity and help all of us defend our nation and our constitution and uh, boy uh, we need to do that now and and we're going to do that now so I had mentioned that we were, uh, you know, our We the People convention is on Saturday, August 15th. And I am just so excited to tell you that it's sold out. We ran out of room. Um, and so it's going to be a great event. We've got Secretary of State Frank LaRose uh, coming to talk to us about um, the, the whole idea of registering people to vote, which I've talked to you about before on this show, and with uh, getting people to go work the polls, and then also to... Um, you know, really talk about voter fraud. And, and that's going to be a very interesting conversation. And the people attending the We The People Convention are going to be able to ask some pretty hard questions because people are still concerned that we're going to have in-person voting uh, in Ohio and that the election is going to go off as planned on November 3rd. And I'm, I'm highly confident of that, but I understand why people are concerned with all this stuff that's going on. We're going to talk about a little that a little bit more in the show here, uh, a couple of things that are going on that are a little disturbing. Um, um, we're also going to have David Conti, who's the regional director for the um, NRA. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about how we're going to be able to use their software uh, to be able to text people, to be able to uh, door knock and lit drop and get our message out to voters this election. So that's going to be a big thing. And then uh, Judy French, uh, the uh, Supreme Court Justice who's running for re-election, will be talking at the convention about that. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a good event, and I will be speaking along with some other uh, Tea Party people about some things we've got planned that are going to be uh, really, you know, good things for you to do to help show people that they should vote for Donald Trump and that, you know, they should get out and, and help reelect him uh, in this election. However, they do that, be it in-person voting uh, 30 days ahead of the election or via absentee voting. Uh, but we do not have what is called mail-in voting in Ohio. So don't, you know, don't 
listen, when you hear that, that's just not true in Ohio. We have absentee voting, and that's very different. And I played a video about that last week to explain that. For those of you who are listening on the radio who want to get involved and can't be at the convention this week, you can do that by helping the volunteer uh, with all of us uh, to work with the NRA to turn out our vote. And if you want to sign up to be trained to do that, you can just send a text to me. And if you just text the letters NRA to this phone number, 866-427-9257. So text the word NRA to 866-427-9257. And that will get me your information and I will provide that to the NRA. And then they will contact you and set up a training session where you can, from your home, really help us turn out the vote in Ohio and in the other battleground states. I was just talking to David Conti today uh, about the convention. And, uh, you know, I told him that, you know, the Ohio Tea Party volunteers are committed not just to winning Ohio, but to winning this election. And that means we're going to reach out uh, to whatever battleground states we need to reach out to, to help get people to vote for Donald Trump and, and basically keep our country on the right track and out of the hands of the communists. We'll be talking about communist Joe Biden and Kamala Harris here in a little bit. All right. But the big news uh, right now I want to get to is about uh, schools opening. And I'm, I'm happy with the fact that Ohio has uh, over 50 percent of its school districts are opening full time uh, with, you know, in student classes. And this this headline I'm showing on the screen for you watching the podcast, you know, shows you the bias the media has. It says Governor Mike Devine reveals that 38 percent of Ohio school districts districts plan to return full time this fall. Well, that headline's wrong. Uh, there's 350, uh, 325 school districts, which are over 50% of the school districts who are returning full-time, but they represent 38% of the students. Uh, it's not 38% of the school districts uh, because they're mostly in rural areas. And if you're watching the podcast, I'm showing you the map that Governor DeWine showed uh, you know, earlier this week that shows that the majority of the state outside of the urban areas of you know Cleveland, Columbus, Dayton, and Cincinnati, um, that they're they're going either five days a week full time or they're doing a hybrid system where the kids are going to school a couple days a week in person and learning from home uh, otherwise. So this is going to be a very interesting thing. I think it's an important fact that we have people going five days a week full time because that's going to provide a comparison between the people, you know, who really, you know, are, you know, are what number of kids are going to get sick. And, and what kind of problems are you going to have in the schools that have five-day-a-week in-class students versus kids who are staying home in, in the big cities, you know, 100% of the time? I would contend that they're more likely to get coronavirus staying at home than they will be going to school because of the precautions that are going to be taken at the schools. But we'll find out. You know, we don't know for sure, and we're going to find out, and, and it's important that we find that out. But basically, in Ohio, there's 325 uh, school districts that are going full-time, and that's 590,000 students. There are 55 districts in the urban areas that are going fully remote, and that's about 398,000 students, uh, or just over 25%. And there's 154 other school districts with about 380,000 students who are doing the hybrid model. So we're going to have a good sample here to see what's going on, and hopefully it's going to show what we think the science shows, and that is that young people... People are not going to be getting really sick from this, and you know, they don't have to be, you know, quarantined as much. They're not going to pass it off to adults as much, but we'll find out. You know, let, let's see what that shows us. One thing that, that is going on, though, is people are upset, and, um, you know, there, there was uh, lawsuits being filed. Uh, the Upper Arlington uh, School District was sued by a, a parent that has a, a student who is, um, you need special ed, you know, classes. And they're saying that there's been irreparable harm depriving their uh, student uh, of, you know, who's, because he can't go to class full time. He, you know, they feel that he's, you know, really falling behind and not getting the care and the education he needs. And, th and that's, that's pretty true. There was also, um, you know, a survey that Rasmussen did that showed that a majority of parents want access to public school funds to send their kids to in-person schools. Meaning that if you don't, if your school won't open five days a week and you want to take your kid to a school that will, 
then you want your school district to give you money, your money back, so you can, you know, you can send your kid to the school you want. And that survey was very interesting. It was done by Rasmussen, and it said a total of 53% of registered voters who are also parents agreed that in the event that a local school closes its doors, meaning only does you know, at-home learning, parents should be able to use public school funding to have their children attend a different school that offers in-person teaching. Just 24% of respondents said uh, disagreed agreed, uh, you know, and said that they didn't want their children to do that. So that was, uh, you know, interesting thing that these people, you know, that, that the majority of people want to have uh, in-person schooling and are willing to, you know, see what happens with the disease. So I think that's, that's good for us. And you know, I think also that you'll note that here's New York, New York and New Jersey, right? The Armageddon's, the two worst places with COVID in the country, and they were the ones who were saying, you know, you can't open the schools. The unions are screaming, don't open the schools. And what happened? This week, Mario Como from New York said, we're encouraging all New York schools to open five days a week. And on Thursday, New Jersey said the same thing. And yet Ohio, which doesn't have anywhere near the death rate or, or the hospitalization rate or the case rate of either New York or New Jersey, our governor's not going full in on that. See, but the reason why... Cuomo and New Jersey and New York are doing this is because the polling, because parents are screaming. They're, they're, they're upset about this. And, and, and one of the things they're upset about is the, uh, the cancellation of sports. As I said last week, uh, you know, they're, they're scaring the heck out of these people. And, and they're saying, you know, that if you play sports, um, you know, you got to be tested 72 hours in advance. And if one person gets it, you can't play the game and all that. And it, it's just impossible to do. So they're still trying to work it out at the high school level. But this week, uh, it started last week with the Mid-American Conference who said, we can't play. And the reason they couldn't play was because it was about the money, all right? Because if they couldn't play the Ohio States and the Big Ten schools where they get checks for millions of dollars to go in there and get beat, and they fund their athletic program with that, well, of course they couldn't play. But this week, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 said they're not playing, and now five more college conferences have called it, called it off. And so... Again, there's just a hysteria going on. And, and what's really disappointing, because you, you saw the athletes, you saw the quarterback from Ohio State, uh, you know, different key players throughout college football saying, it hurts us more to not play, right, and, and because of the virus than it does to play. Because they've worked for this their whole life. And they're having their dream taken from them over a, a disease that does not affect 99.8% of these people, right? It's just irrational. So, you know, we've even got people, you know, parents are suing uh, at the high school level. Uh, you know, we, we've got uh, Wayne County judge rules against a uh, contact sports injunction. A Wayne County court judge ruled on Thursday against the director of the Ohio Department of Health, Lance D. Himes, injunction on contact sports. Uh, Judge Timothy N. Tappy said in his decision, the order as applied was fa uh, facially unconstitutional as it failed to provide procedural due process as well as equal protection under the law. The decision went on to say that the orders violated the doctrine of separation of powers and delegated unbridled and vague power to unelected officials. So here's a, a, yet another court case saying you can't do what you're doing. And yet they keep doing it. And this is what's so disappointing. And what really was disappointing this week is I started picking up some signs from uh, our friend Chris Long at the Ohio Christian Alliance. And he started hearing from some churches that were being harassed, in essence, by health departments, by county health departments calling up churches that had been turned in by maybe attendees at their masses saying that they weren't social distancing enough or they weren't all wearing masks. And, and these health departments were threatening to shut these churches down. And Chris Long started to investigate this. And he said uh, that we're tracking down this alarming trend of health departments making calls to churches concerning face masks during church services. A records request in one county revealed that 14 calls have been made in the last 10 days since the statewide face, back order, face mask order went into effect. Churches in other urban counties in Ohio are reporting the same kinds of calls coming from health departments. But the point is, they're treating churches differently than other businesses. And the, and the 
AG Barr and the, you know, the Department of Justice has filed suit and saying, First Amendment rights, you have a right to practice your religion. And yet they're being hassled by these health directors. It's just wrong, folks. It's just wrong. And, and it's just, you know, and here, here's another story about how wrong it really is, right? Half of Ohio's restaurants are saying that they may end up closing because they just can't survive these rules. Uh, let's see. More than half of our restaurant owners fear that they'll have to close permanently over the next nine months because of the toll on their business from the coronavirus pandemic, according to a recent survey conducted by the Ohio Restaurant Association. Now, I've been waiting for the Ohio Restaurant Association to step up and sue and defend these restaurants because they're being treated differently than other businesses. And, and they haven't done anything, but now they're speaking out. Out of 107 respondents, 54% said they fear they'll be closing up, uh, and 31% felt that way the previous week. So it's up from 31% to 54%. In addition, 47% of respondents said they are operating at below 50% capacity, and more than 80% said they won't break even this year. The COVID-19 pandemic and capacity curfew limits continue to dishearten the majority of Ohio restaurants, the Ohio Restaurant Association President John Barker said. Consumer confidence continues to decrease as the virus remains top national news. Our data shows the undeniable need for additional government support to stabilize the industry in Ohio and nationwide. Say, this is the problem. In 2009 and 10, when the N1 uh, you know, virus came out and 200,000 Americans died. We're at about 160,000 in the U.S. now, and they're predicting we're going to be over 200,000, no matter what you do. And I'm going to talk about something about that in the next segment. And when Obama was president, you know what they did? They stopped testing. They just stopped testing. They killed the news cycle and just let it play out. But see, we're testing more and more and more. So what are we finding? More and more people getting it and more and more panic. How do you get confidence in people to come out when every single day you're making a mountain out of a molehill? You're talking about, for instance, and I just said, we have like 170,000, 167,000 dead in the United States. 2.5 million people die every year from all causes, okay? It's part of life. Death is part of life. And yet we're making, we're counting these deaths like they're the most important deaths ever, and they're not even the biggest deaths. It's just plain wrong. And, and I was very happy to see that Donald Trump finally named our friend, the person we trust, Dr. Scott Atlas from the Hoover Institute from Stanford to his COVID team. And, he, and that's a great news because hopefully now the president is talking more about get back to school because Dr. Atlas has said there's no reason not to go back to school. Every other country in the world has gone back to school. So he was on Tucker Carlson, and I want to play just a short clip of Dr. Atlas making sense. And much of the, the stuff on mass really is, re is not very good science at all. And in fact, the WHO itself says there is no sound science for general population wearing masks. However, in certain uh, you know, settings, I think we can say it's reasonable to wear a mask. And the yes. goal of public policy, honestly, is twofold here. The public policy is directly for stopping the deaths by protecting the high-risk people and preventing hospital overcrowding while you safely reopen society. The public policy is absolutely not just stop COVID-19 cases at all costs, no matter what. That is not appropriate policy. There you go. It's not appropriate policy to try to stop COVID dead in its tracks. Yet that's what Ohio Democrat Governor Mike DeWine is telling you. He said a couple weeks ago, his job is to make sure you don't get sick. Well, he's not God and he can't possibly live up to that. Okay. He can't live up to that. And, and it's just disgusting that people act as if, you know, that's possible when it's not. So, yes, take appropriate action. Yes, it is dangerous to certain people. And we haven't done a good job of protecting those people. But for the people that are not going to die or even get seriously sick from this, why are we ruining their lives? It's just disgusting. 
So I was, I was heartened today to hear uh, that Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who I said is going to be at the We the People convention, uh, actually held a press conference on Wednesday and said that he will not mandate wearing masks at the polling places in November. Now, what he was talking about is that, you know, if you go in the polling location to vote, you're going to have to wear a mask. But if you don't want to wear a mask, and some people can't because they have a medical condition, folks, that they can't breathe well enough with a mask on. So by law, the, the state of Ohio can't deny you the right to vote, okay, if you want to vote in person but can't wear a mask. So they're going to put some uh, the machines that are going to be like out in the lobby or outside the building so you can vote without a mask if you want to. And so, you know, the, the, he said, though, I want to say this to everyone. You can hear me loud and clear. I'm sure he's going to say this at the We People Convention on Saturday. I want to put some rumors to rest. There absolutely will be in-person voting November 30, said. This LaRose noted the election day is set in federal law, and the election this November will look a lot like what Ohioans have grown accustomed to. And that's voting 30 days in advance, in person at the Board of Elections, voting in person on election day, and being able to use absentee ballots 30 days in advance and, and mailing them in. Okay? Want to set yourself at ease with that. And then I'm going to take one more story here before we take our break, and that is that the Democrats in Ohio have filed a lawsuit basically challenging the fact that they will check your signature to make sure it matches the one that's on file with the Board of Elections. When you register to vote, you sign a form. They keep that signature on file. And so when you vote by absentee ballot, and we used to have to sign the book, those of you who've been around for a while, when we went to vote, you'd show your driver's license, and then they'd have a book, and you'd sign that, and they could see your new signature next to your old signature and compare the two. Well, now we use those machines, and you you can't read the signature at all. You're writing with your finger. But when you mail in an absentee ballot, you're going to have to sign that. And if that signature doesn't match the one on file, they're going to pull that ballot out. Well, oh, the, you know, the, the ACLU and the League of Women Voters contend the process carried out by election workers who are untrained in handwriting analysis disenfranchises thousands of eligible voters. And they filed suit to, to basically say you shouldn't even check the signature. Well, that's not an invitation to fraud with the absentee ballots, is it? Right? Just have anybody sign it. It's just nuts. Frank LaRose said, go pound salt. They're going to fight that in court. They're not going to win that fight. And we're going to have our election in person. All right. All right. We're going to take a break here. You're listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Radio Show and Podcast. And I'm Tom Zawistowski. Buckeye Firearms Association is Ohio's number one gun rights organization, protecting the rights of Ohio's four million gun owners. And you can get our weekly gun rights newsletter free. Receive breaking news and urgent alerts on gun laws. Stay up to date on self-defense and shooting sports. Discover pro-gun activities and events near you. Get your free gun rights newsletter now at bfanews.org. That's bfanews.org. bfanews.org. The Buckeye Institute was founded in 1989 and we're the longest serving free market think tank in the state of Ohio. My goal is removing barriers to prosperity that have been put in place by government. We want for Ohio to be the freest and most prosperous state in the country. The Buckeye Institute is a source of common sense ideas that will have an impact on the nation as well as the state of Ohio. All right, welcome back. And uh, we're going to keep going with the show. I had put a really cool uh post out this week on, on the WeThePeopleConvention.org. And um, if, you, if you're not getting my emails, you should go to WeThePeopleConvention.org and right on the front page, you can put in your email address and your phone number because I'm sending text messages and phone numbers uh, and emails with links to our stories that we post during the week. So, you know, you, I think you'll really enjoy those. Just go to WeThePeopleConvention.org right in the front page, give me your email address and your phone number, and we'll start sending you texts. But I sent this story out, how the COVID-19 fear peddlers lost their credibility. And I thought that's a great graphic with a picture of Burks and uh, Fauci on it. And, and this story was really interesting. The guy that wrote his name is uh, J.L. Patterson. And I don't know who this guy is, but he took a really clever way of exposing how ridiculous all this 
nonsense is with COVID because he did 25 things that undermine their credibility. And as you go through the list, you start to go at, at like point 10, you're like, man, these people don't know what they're talking about. So like point one, when you passed edicts demanding that we social distance and wear masks, but you were caught not social distancing and not wearing masks, you lost all credibility. Point three, when you claimed masks were effective in stopping the spread, yet instead of giving prisoners masks, you released them from custody in the jails, you lost all credibility. Uh, number five, when you closed churches and small businesses, but were perfectly fine with thousands of rioters crowding the streets across America with no masks and no social distancing, you lost all credibility. Uh, number 10, when the media tried passing off a picture of a hangar full of coffins of shipwreck victims from 2013 as COVID victims from 2020, you lost all credibility. Number 12, when deaths from motor vehicle accidents, gunshots, suicides, and those not even tested were labeled as COVID deaths, you lost all credibility. So, Go to WeThePeopleConvention.org and click on the article section and look at this, how COVID-19 fear peddlers lost their credibility and go through that list of 25 because it, it was just terrific. It, I just loved the way this guy did it because it just made the point so profoundly. Now, we were talking, you know, earlier in the COVID section about, you know, Governor DeWine saying, you know, we're, my job is to make sure you don't get sick. And he also talks, and a lot of these governors talk about the vaccine. And, and President Trump's guilty of this too. Vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. Well, folks, only 42% say they will submit to a, vac a coronavirus vaccine. This is a new poll by YouGov uh, and Yahoo News. And it basically said that it has gone down, right? The, uh, you know, the number of people who were willing to go and get a vaccine in May was 55%. Now it's down to 42%. Well, why is that? Because they've undermined their credibility. That's why. And um, they, they had this uh, in the article, um, this, uh, this one guy, assistant professor of biostatistics at the University of Florida, Florida, Natalie Dean, has noted, why should we expect Americans to agree to vaccine before one is even available? Uh, writing in the New York Times, she said, I'm a vaccine researcher, and even I would place myself in the not sure bracket because you don't know what's in it. You don't know what's going to work. You don't know what kind of reaction people are going to have. Okay? That's the reality of this. And, and so... This idea that we're going to have this vaccine and it's going to save all of us, it's just ludicrous because there isn't a vaccine for the, the last flu. There's not a vaccine for AIDS. They haven't been able to solve the, the common core, excuse me, the common cold, which is a coronavirus. So if we're waiting for a vaccine, folks, you're, you're going to be waiting the rest of your life. It ain't going to happen. And, and now I want to go to a story about Hawaii because I think this is a really good story. Hawaii might possibly have been the strictest lockdown and mass mandates in the country. It is essentially as strict as the Philippines, though without the threat of being shot by police. However, the state has jailed people for violating lockdown orders while releasing 38% of its real criminals in jail. Tourism has been non-existent and all remaining visitors were told to quarantine. There has been, there have been a mandate in place requiring mask wearing indoors since April and now even outdoors for the past month, even while jogging. The results? New cases are surging more than ever, just like in the Philippines, Hong Kong, Israel, Australia, and even southern latitudes, every southern latitude area with a strict mask mandate and lockdown. Here's a graph for those of you watching the podcast, and it shows that even though they have been locked down, they, they literally have been locked down for, you know, since April, that the coronavirus now has just exploded. And, and the one guy that wrote about it on Twitter said, as you can see, this is certainly not from too much opening. They, that stopped 70 days ago at a level lower than the deepest lockdowns the U.S. as a whole ever reached. Hawaii has been the most locked down state in the U.S. and has had the travel bans, quarantines, etc. in place consistently. And remember, Hawaii is surrounded by water. There's no way to get off the island or on the island. And so why is the coronavirus exploding? And this guy says it's not working. And like, like other, uh, most other countries that engage in heavy-handed police state tactics, Hawaiians have nothing to show for their lockdown but a crushed economy and lives lost. 
Sure, they still have a lower death rate, but that has nothing to do with stopping the spread with mandates. The spread has not stopped. The low death rate is likely by, uh, driven by the same theory behind the low death rates in all the Pacific-run countries. They have a high rate of cross-immunity from persistent coronavirus colds. Okay? More evidence that what we're doing does not work. That's just the bottom line. All right, got to get to some of the other political news this week. And, you know, of course, the, the big news was Joe Biden picked Kamala Harris to be his vice president. And as I said to you last week, this is a non-event to me, okay? This is a non-event to me because Kamala Harris has no chance of being president of the United States because Joe Biden has no chance of being the president and then dying or stepping down and what everybody's talking about. All right. Here's what I love about Kamala Harris. So right away, they're saying you can't attack her because you're a racist because she's a black and she's a woman. But then they say you got to vote for her because of the color of her skin. Isn't that the definition of racism? Isn't that judging people by things they can't control, such as the color of their skin and not their ability? Who's the racist? It ain't you and me, folks. It's not you and me. But they're trying to tell you that Kamala Harris is a moderate. <laughs> yeah. In, on what planet is she a moderate? She's for open borders. She's for the Green New Deal. She's for, you know, government-controlled health care. You loving this coronavirus stuff? How'd you like that in spades, right? She's, she's a complete commie sympathizer. She's a liar, okay? This person is just completely unqualified to be anything in government. And so she's going to just get destroyed by Trump and by Pence. And, 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 I, and I love this, right? So the, the black community warns Biden that you better put a black woman on as your vice president because of, after all, it's historic. So what does he do? He puts Kamala Harris on. But when the black community in, in the United States says black woman, they're talking about an African-American. Kamala Harris is not an African-American. Kamala Harris is Jamaican and Indian, like from India, okay? She says, I got more in common with black people in Cleveland, Ohio, and Ohio than Kamala Harris ever will, because at least I live in the same state. She has nothing in common with them, right? But the best part I thought was fantastic was that her ancestors were slave owners. I'm not making it up, folks. Kamala Harris's great-grandparents on Jamaica were slave owners and traders. Yeah, but listen to the left about how they're virtuous and they're virtue signaling, right? Because, you know, we're the new change and all that. So we're, uh, we're going to nominate an old white guy who's said more racist things than any of us have ever said in our lives, including the last few weeks, that if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, right? And all that stuff. They've, they're going to name this, this old white guy, you know, as their nominee, and a woman who isn't really black and say that she's a black woman. Yeah, nothing to see here, folks. Nothing to see here. Uh, this is going to be a slaughter because what what does Kamala Harris bring Joe Biden? What state does she win for Joe Biden that she needs to win? Is, is Kamala Harris going to bring him votes in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin? No, she's not going to bring him any votes. And then I heard people say, well, she's going to bring money because she's a Silicon Valley darling and Jeff Bezos loves her and all that stuff. Give me a break. You think they weren't already supporting anybody but Trump? You think they're doing it because of Kamala Harris? Give me a break. She doesn't bring anything except trouble. He made a bad decision. We're going to make him pay for it. So while that was going on and the rest of the Dems were embarrassing themselves by supporting rioters and, and supporting defunding the police and not you know passing the latest stimulus bill to help Americans out because they were trying to fill their pockets and that of all their cronies. What did President Trump do? President Trump signed four executive orders. While the Democrats were you know playing politics, he acted to protect the American people. These orders were major, major deals, and he outflanked the Democrats completely. The first one uh, provides out-of-work Americans with $400 per week in su uh, supplemental aid on top of their existing unemployment benefits. Now, we were paying $600, and, and we didn't like that 
because people were making more money to stay at home than they were to work. You're not going to get the jobs numbers back up, and you're going to we're going to talk about that in a second, okay? Unless they have an incentive to go back to work. So this four hundred dollars is a good compromise because it's a little less than what they make. So there's a reason to go back to work. Number two, he, uh, he passed a, a thing that defers payroll taxes for employees making $100,000 or less per year through the end of the year. This is huge. This saves small businesses part of their FICA, part of their, their, their payroll tax, and it saves every worker. Every worker gets a 7% raise, and every business owner gets a 12% payroll cut. This is brilliant. It's going to drive tons of jobs. But most of you haven't even heard anything about this. Larry Kudrow and Steve Moore and those guys are responsible for this. This was a huge move by Trump. And he's already said if he's reelected, he's going to permanently implement this in January. Fourth, he suspended federal student loan payments and set interest rates at zero through the end of the year. So he's trying to help the students that have a lot of student debt. Notice he didn't forgive them. He deferred it. I'm okay with that. And then the last thing he said is he passed a, a executive order to assist renters and homeowners who are struggling to pay their leases or make their mortgage payment. So he's trying to give people a chance to buy some time if they're struggling to make their, their mortgage payment. My problem with that one is, well, are you going to help the mortgage holders? You know, for instance, you know, if you own rental property and the people don't pay your rent, how do you pay the mortgage? So I'm not sure what's in that executive order, but I'm going to look into it because it's very important. But so what is this all about? Well, here you go. The jobs report came out on Thursday, every week, the weekly jobs report. And here's President Trump smiling. New unemployment claims fall below 1 million for the first time since March. Um, let's see here. Unemployment claims have now fallen below 1 million for the first time. Uh, first time claims for unemployment insurance last week. Um, you know, is down to 963,000 for the week ended August 8th. And that's well below the estimated 1.1 million from uh, that economist surveyed by Dow Jones had expected. That's a decline of 228,000 from the previous week's totals. But the total Americans receiving unemployment benefits fell sharply for the week of July 21st, down from more than 3 million from to 28.26. But a year ago, think I just said, unemployment benefits, people are getting 28.26 million Americans are getting unemployment. A year ago, that number was 1.7 million. That's how great our country was doing, folks. And we're going to be doing that again because of the leadership of Donald J. Trump. And, and we're all going to work to make sure that continues because he proved that what he was doing, cutting regulations, cutting taxes, limiting Im immigration, all worked to stimulate our economy, giving you know smaller government and more freedom and liberty for the people. That's what we want. So we're going to wrap up the radio show right now. We thank you for tuning in. If you want to catch the rest of the podcast, go to wethepeopleconvention.org and uh, just click on the link right on the front page and you'll get the rest of the show, which is about another 30, 40 minutes. But you've been listening to the We The People Convention news and opinion radio show and podcast. And my name's Tom Zawistowski, and I'm awful glad that you joined us this week. And I hope you'll do so again in next week. The We The People Convention news and opinion radio program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We The People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We The People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. All right, we're back, and we thank you for sticking with us on the podcast. We're glad to uh, you know have you stay with us. We've got some great show, uh, great content coming up, and I want to start with something that I think is really good, and that is we're being told that we're racist all the time, right? You know, uh, we're not only are we racist, not only are you a racist, it's systemic, it's part of our society, and and it's so devious that you don't even know you're racist, right? It's 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 this racism that's inherent just by you being white, you're racist. It's all bull, okay? It's all Marxist bull decide, designed to, to divide us and, and, and hurt us as a country, all right? And I'll prove to you that you're not alone because Ras Scott Rasmussen, from uh, working with Just the News, did a poll that I thought 
you know, really answers this question in the affirmative. And this is a poll of, of you know, all Americans, you know, black, white, you know, Indian, uh, you know, uh, Asian, what have you. The question was, generally speaking, which of the following statements is closer to the truth? The United States was founded on the ideals of freedom and equality, even though we have never fully lived up to those ideals. 79% said they agreed with that. The, the next statement was the United States was founded as a racist society and the founding ideas were simply a lie. Only 11% agreed with that. Not sure 10%. Okay? We don't think we're a racist nation. And if you, if you studied the, the documents, if you understand history, you can prove that you're not a racist nation. Uh, the strong support in favor of the country's foundational tenets comes after several months of sustained anti-American rhetoric on the part of commentators and activists across the country, many of whom believe that the U.S. was founded explicitly as a racist, unequal society. And that would be our good buddies at Black Lives Matter. And what did they do? And Antifa and those guys, what did they do this week? Well, they continued to have riots, uh, you know, looting and, and, and erupted in downtown Chicago. They call it the Miracle Mile. More than 100 people were arrested um, in Chicago, uh, and 13 officers were injured uh, as they just torched the downtown portion of Chicago. Now, again, we keep talking about Black Lives Matter and Tifa having organizational structure. So here's a social media post that was out that morning. Police undercover discovered disturbing online posts that may have triggered riots and looting. The post said, bring tools, ski masks, and gloves, and told people that they should only go downtown and not to the north side and the south side of Chicago, but we're all going downtown. That's a sign of control, right? And, and the Black Lives Matter guy uh, from Chicago said that we can steal all this stuff because it's reparations. Folks, in, in like two nights, they did $60 million of damage. $60 million in downtown Chicago, one of America's most major cities, right? The Black Lives Matter statement obtained by the Chicago Sun-Times also appeared to justify the destruction. When protesters attack high-end retail stores that are owned by the wealthy and service the wealthy, this is not our city and has never been meant for us, the statement read in part. A sign at Monday's rally displayed by protesters read, Our futures have been looted from us, so now we're looting back. In its statement, the Black Lives Matter also called for the Chicago police to be abolished. Right? Yeah, and guess what? The incompetent Democratic communist mayor Lightfoot, right, got all upset and said, "Yo, know, oh, you know, we, you know, we got to make sure that um, you know these people are charged and all that stuff." And what do we got? You got that same George Soros prosecutor in Chicago who's letting these people out. The only reason, folks, this is continuing. Let, let me just be crystal clear: this does not have to continue. It's all about consequences. And, you know, in, in, when I grew up and went to college, I took ethics courses, and they talked about norms and sanctions. This is normal behavior, and if you don't behave that way, society sanctions you. Well, if you break my storefront window and get arrested, you're supposed to not only be arrested, you're supposed to be charged and convicted and serve time so you can think about never doing that again. If you don't do that, why would they stop? Right. And of course, they're calling to abolish the police. So what happened in Seattle this week? Sure enough, the city of Seattle's, you know, radical board uh, you know, commissioners voted to defund you know, the police department. Not 100 percent. They cut you know, about 100 jobs. Uh, 100 officers were cut from the Seattle Police Department like they didn't need those officers. Right. And the black. Um, woman police chief, uh, Adrian Diaz, uh, no, excuse me, Cameron Best, the city's first black police chief, resigned as soon as they did that because they also cut her salary from like 238000 to 152000 right? So this is how you get your control of your city, right? You, you defund the police? You don't fund them more? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely stupid. And that's why I've been asking you all along to use your voice to call the White House at 202-456-1111, or better yet, go online to whitehouse.gov contacts 
and demand that the president declare Black Lives Matter as a terrorist group. Now, I had someone write to me about the fact that you can't declare a domestic group a terrorist group. And I wrote back and said, well, that's where you're mistaking what I'm saying, because Black Lives Matter and Antifa are not domestic groups. They are international communist groups. Why else would there be Black Lives Matter riots simultaneously as the ones in the U.S., in London, in Berlin, in Paris, all over the world? Right? They are an international organization. They must be deemed a terrorist group, and we must bring the full force of our government into their situation to defund them and to lock them up. Because, folks, I got news for you. They are not going to stop. They are not going to stop. We're going to have to defeat them either now, before the election, or later after the election. Because if you think they're going to riot less if Trump wins, you got another thing coming. So our whole situation is a mess. And, and one of the things I know that those of you who watch the show and listen to the show know that I have a personal relationship with General Michael Flynn, that we've been you know, praying for him and hoping that he will finally see justice. And once again, the, the corruption of our judicial system is on display as they continue. Four years now, they've been persecuting this guy. And he's not guilty. He's not guilty. And so now the, 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 the Obama-appointed judges on the Democratic Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C., are now considering his case. And I want to play a short clip between Sidney Powell and Lou Dobbs about how outrageous this is and why all of us should understand that we've got a big job ahead of us because the deep state isn't just you know the FBI and the DOJ. It's all the federal government, including the courts. Listen to Lou Dobbs and uh, and Sidney Powell, General Flynn's attorney. I, I, I'm deeply concerned about the state of our judiciary, the state of the Justice Department, and the FBI. I believe most Americans feel much the way I do. Your thoughts? I'm very concerned too, Lou. I have always held our judiciary in the highest regard. I still do. I still want to. And I understand that sometimes they ask questions to test both sides that don't reflect what they think at all. But it's very important that they put politics out of this and decide the case as if it were John Doe, as opposed to creating a Michael Flynn exception to the rule of law that doesn't apply to anyone else or that they wouldn't want to apply to somebody in their own family if they were in this situation. This has taken four years of the life of a dedicated American patriot who has just done everything humanly possible to serve his country. And it was started by an investigation that was corrupt from the beginning. They had no basis to investigate, and then they made up the false statements against him. And now the government's finally admitted the wrongs and wants to set it right, and we can't get the district judge to issue the order of dismissal. When every case in the country, the dismissal has to be granted. It's always granted because no court can make the government prosecute a case. So it's beyond frustrating, to say the least, that we're still here it's a, three months later trying to get a case dismissed that can't be prosecuted and should never have been prosecuted in the first place. So there you have it. You know, it's a travesty, ladies and gentlemen, and what the Democrats and the liberals and the leftists and the commies in our court systems want to do is they want to make Donald Trump pardon General Flynn. They want to convict him on phony charges and then make Trump pardon him so that he can't sue the state to get reimbursed for the millions of dollars. He lost his house, folks. He lost his personal house in this. And so that's what they're trying to do. These people are evil. And, and that's what we're fighting to defeat this election season. So we're going to take another break. You're listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion radio show and podcast. My name is Tom Zawistowski. This is Jordan Sekulow with the American Center for Law and Justice. At the ACLJ, we are committed to fighting the deep state and protecting freedom. 
the right to life, religious liberty, and fighting for the Constitution. The ACLJ has experienced tremendous success in litigating cases at all levels of the judiciary, from the federal district court level to the Supreme Court of the United States. We have offices in Washington, D.C., Jerusalem, and all around the world. You can find out more about the ACLJ and join us by visiting aclj.org. Did you know that the Right to Life Action Coalition of Ohio is the largest statewide life group in the state? Are you tired of the compromised approach to pro-life legislation that has been the status quo for far too long? Since 2017, the efforts of the Right to Life Action Coalition of Ohio has changed that approach, closing loopholes and making pro-life laws enforceable. Visit rtlaohio.org or call 440-668-4049 for details. All right, we're coming back for our final segment of the show. Uh, got a lot of good news for the last few stories, and so I'm excited about that. First story is a is an interesting one. And again, you know, it is so hard for us to find real news to understand what's really going on because most of the quote unquote news in our world is propaganda and is only focused on one thing, and that's taking power over you and I away from us by taking over the government of the United States. <clears throat> but there's lots going on. Just like I you know, talked to you about you know, President Trump signing those four executive orders to help you if you're unemployed and help you if you're a student with debt and if you can't pay your rent or mortgage. But these are important stories. So this one I think is a really important story and you didn't hear this anywhere because I had to really look deep to find it. This story is administration ramps up use of Defense Production Act. And as you know, during COVID, the president use the Defense Protection Act to basically force American companies to help um, make uh, the ventilators. Remember, he made General Motors make ventilators and stuff like that. But that's not what the Defense uh, Protection Act, uh, Production Act of 1950 really was for. Um, it's a federal statute passed during the Korean War that confers upon the president a broad set of authorities to influence domestic industry in the interest of national defense. National defense can include emergencies and disaster response, so that's why the COVID thing and all that. In recent months, the act has been used for more than just medical supplies. The Department of Defense has used funds that Congress has provided under the act to reinforce the U.S. defense industry across multiple sectors, including aviation, shipbuilding, microelectronics, and space, among others. This is appropriate and overdue. Okay, and interventions permitted by the act include issuing loans and grants to strategically significant companies, prioritizing government contracts, controlling the allocation and distribution of certain goods, and even compelling producers to make certain products. All the actions taken by the Defense Department with the Defense Production Act funding fall within these categories. Ladies and gentlemen, this is like the story we talked to you about with uh, uh, Kodak that they signed to make uh, pharmaceuticals, right? And, the, and that, you know, the president is saying we've got to bring these jobs back from China and from other places in the world if they are things that are critical to our infrastructure. Well, our problem is all of our military equipment, our fighter jets, our tanks, our missiles are depending on technology and manufacturing that isn't in the U.S., that is a crime that we ever let that happen in this country. And this story tells you that President Trump sees that and is taking action. And what does that mean? That means jobs. That means more American jobs if we start making our own stuff. It's, it's awesome. And I'm really excited about this. So I hope you are as well. And then this story is not going to surprise anybody, but... You know, we need to talk about it. A mad rush for the exits as New York City goes down the tubes. It's not just a few Upper West Siders who are fleeing New York. Moving companies say they're swamped with calls from residents looking to ditch the city, even though the COVID crisis has waned. One likely reason? The virus was but the last straw. New Yorkers are fed up with the shootings and lootings, homelessness on the streets, subpar online schools, sky-high taxes, and sheer obliviousness of politicians like Mayor Bill de Blasio and Governor Andrew Cuomo. Um, 
Let's see. It's been insanely busy. Roadway moving president Rob Ross Sapri told Fox. Indeed, he says this has been the busiest summer ever for the company. For the last three months, we couldn't keep up with the demand. United Van Lines, too, cites a whopping 95% spike year over year in interest in moving out of Manhattan between May and July versus just 19% nationally. Yet the fact that the rush to the exit continues to grow, even as the new coronavirus uh, virus cases have plummeted, suggests other reasons, like the crime wave. The number of shootings per day, for instance, has doubled since last year. Other crimes are up, too. Lousy schools and even worse online classes provide yet another reason for folks to skedaddle. Ditto for high taxes, which de Blasio and fellow Democrats in the legislature are itching to raise even more. And remember, the escape from New York actually began long before the pandemic. Data last year based on the 2018 census, showed that the metro area was tops in the nation in net population loss, with 227 people leaving on average every day. Well, now that's up to like 500, 600, maybe 1,000 people a day leaving the city. It serves them right, right, folks? It serves them right. And there was another poll I saw this week that talked about how the vast majority of Americans don't want to live in a big city. But remember Obama and all those guys and their Agenda 21 stuff where they were trying to tell us, oh, we all need to be in urban areas. We need to you know, get all these rural people out. That's why, like in southeast Ohio, we don't have decent Internet because the government was stopping that from happening because they were trying to drive people into the urban areas where they could control you. Well, good old COVID has blown all that up, right? Just like, just like it's blown up the border. You hear anybody saying they don't want border walls anymore with COVID? Yeah. See, there are, there are silver linings in the cloud. There are some silver linings. This is a silver lining. I, I guess you'd call this spitefulness or just revenge. But I'm happy to report that Paul Howard, the Fulton County, Georgia district attorney, has gone down to a crushing defeat in his primary race. Howard, who has been the DA for more than two decades, lost his runoff race with Fannie Willis by more than 45 points. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy. You know why? Because this guy isn't a nice guy. Readers will recall that Howard charged Atlanta police officer Garrett Rolfe with felony murder in the shooting death of Rayshard Brooks. Brooks had fired a taser gun at Rolf, and Howard had recently declared a taser to be a deadly weapon under Georgia state law. Charging Rolf with murder is indefensible. It is doubtful whether Rolf even committed a crime, and Howard didn't wait for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to complete its investigation. So guess what? Bye-bye, baby. You lost your primary. You're toast, right? Another radical dem bites the dust. And this story, this is just, just a story that touches my heart. Sheriff bans staff office visitors from wearing masks. A Florida sheriff has prohibited his deputies and visitors from wearing face masks in his office. In his email sent to his staff, Marion County Sheriff Billy Woods, that's in Florida, wrote that no one in the office will be allowed to wear a face mask. Since the beginning of this pandemic, this, the operations of this office has not changed and no wearing of masks has been put in place. With 900 employees, our number of cases so far has proven that the current way we are approaching this issue is working. The sheriff added that if someone confronts an employee about not wearing a mask, the employee should politely and professionally tell them, I am not required to wear a mask, nor will I, per the order of the sheriff, and walk away. Hear, 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 right? That's what we need. More people standing up. And it's, it's just awesome. And so, you know, just understand that we're in this together. We're all fighting in our own way. And we're going to defeat this evil. But it's going to take effort. And as I said to you guys uh, you know, earlier in the, in the radio broadcast, we're at the convention this week because we want to um, and we want to work with the NRA to get out our vote. And you can still do that. So if you can text NRA, the letters NRA, to this phone number, 866-427-9257. That's NRA to 866-427-9257. That will get you on the list. I'll get that to the NRA. They will then uh, you know, contact you about training. And folks, 
this this stuff is easy. This text messaging they're doing, you just sit on your computer and just go click, 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 as fast as you can to send out these text messages because they have to be sent by an individual. It's against the law to automate that. But what's cool is people will text you back. Now, we're not using your phone or your phone number. So it's, it's, a, it's an NRA phone number. But when they text back, it shows up on your screen and then they have things that you can reply to them. And a lot of people will then volunteer to help us do more texting. It's really cool. So, so please do that. Text NRA to 866-427-9257. All right. I'm going to wrap up the show. Again, I can't thank you enough for telling other people about the podcast and the radio show. It's no sense doing this show if no one's watching or listening. And the only way they're going to find out primarily is through word of mouth, though we do do some advertising. You know, we do try to promote it. You know, we can only do so much, so much. Send your comments and your ideas for stories to me at info at wethepeopleconvention.org. That's info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Many of the stories, you know, that you saw today are from you, right? And I thank all the people who send me information. I look at it all. I can't use it all. I got to make decisions and put some things in, other things not. But, But bottom line is, this is your show. You help make it good. You help share information and educate our fellow citizens so they cannot have to believe the propaganda. They can know the truth and act accordingly so that we can all defend our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. That's what it's all about. So I'm going to wrap up the show so we can get on with the convention on Saturday. You're listening to the We the People Convention, news and opinion, radio show and podcast. And I'm Tom Zawistowski, and I'll be back next week. And we're going to drive right through to November 3rd, and we're going to win this election in a big way.